We are studying uh, Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew. We're going through the entire Gospel. It's going to take a while, but uh, we're not in a hurry. And uh, we are looking at the message of Jesus. What did Jesus really preach? That's my granddaughter crying down there. Hey, you. Hey. Psst. Quiet. Hey. 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 What you doing, man? Praise the Lord. Will she cry if I come down here? Hello there. What you doing, Dad? Say hi, everybody. Hi, everybody. (laughs) I had to do that. Anyway, okay. (laughs) I'll be quiet. Okay, now. We are studying the gospel of Matthew going one verse at a time, looking at the message of Jesus. What did Jesus really teach? Because I, uh, as you've heard me (laughs) complain for some time, believe that we have gotten far away from the message of Jesus. We have created another version of the gospel, which is not really a true gospel at all. It's a a very watered down version of Christianity, which has lost its power and its effectiveness. And if we're going to restore the power and effectiveness of the gospel of Christ, we need to start teaching it as it was taught. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, teaching them to obey what I have told you to obey. What did Jesus teach us to obey? It's amazing how many people don't really know. So that's why we're doing this. Now, we were in uh, verses 1 through 11 uh, last week, uh, reading about the temptation of Christ and uh, how... Uh, at a weak point, Jesus was out fasting and praying and Satan came and tempted, to, tempted him. And what Jesus did to resist the devil in his life. Now, he didn't use his God power, you know, zap him away or something like that. He did uh, what we all can do. And the reason he did it is so that we all can do it. Is he simply quoted the Bible to him. He looked at Satan over and over again and said, it is written. And quoted the scriptures to him. And Satan couldn't take it anymore and took off. Uh, This morning as you were coming in. We were handing out these cards. uh, Along with your bulletins. These are uh, uh, scriptures. That you can use. In dealing with temptation. These are scriptures that I have memorized. And used for years. And, uh, And I want to encourage you this week. As you are struggling. In life. Learn how. To quote the Bible. Speak the word. Everybody say speak. speak. Just don't think it. Just don't hope it. Actually say it. Because when Satan came to Jesus, Jesus looked at him and said, hey, it is written. And he quoted the word of God to him. You've got to learn to do this in your life or you will be a victim. Christians, by and large, have failed to do this. They've forgotten to do this. Much of Christianity today is a version of just secular failure. You know, we go out, we just do, we fail, we sin, we mess up, we come to church, ask God to forgive us, we go out, we sin, and we fail, we come to church, just over and over and over again. Uh, It's become such a cycle, some people actually teach it. I've known of churches who've taught that this is normal Christianity. We leave here, we go, and we suck, and then we come back and ask God to forgive us, and then we go next week and we do the same thing, and then we come back, and we're just in the cycle of blah, and you know, just, oh, help me Jesus, help me Jesus, help me Jesus. That is not... The picture of Christianity. It is a sick, very weakened, 
impotent version of Christianity. That is not the way we're supposed to live. We should be living victoriously. We should be the kind of people the rest of the world looks at us and goes, holy cow, I want to be like you. Hard to do when all of life is, uh, and then we come and repent every week, okay? Now, without question, if you mess up, Yes, you come, you ask God to forgive you. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and make things right. That's fine. But this should be more of the exception than the rule. We shouldn't just be serial failures over and over and over again, giving in a temptation every time we come around. We need to get the word of God in us so that we can quote the word of God. Now, some of the scriptures here. 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, we won't speak... Put it up on the screen because you have it right in front of you. But at least I don't think they are going to. But First Corinthians, the tenth chapter. Yep, they did it. There it is. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. This is a great thing. When Satan comes to you, one of the things that you can't help but think is that when you're going through struggling with temptation to do something you shouldn't do or get angry in a way you shouldn't get or some, you know. Uh, uh, addictive thing with alcohol or something like you're facing this thing or looking at porn or whatever these things that are destructive by nature that you keep falling into over and over and over again whenever you fall into temptation it's help uh, you can't help but feel like oh it's just me i'm the only one i'm the only one going through this this is too much for me Uh." and satan will stick those thoughts in your head it's not true when you start feeling and thinking that way you need to say to the devil it is written no temptation has taken me, but such as common to everybody. We all struggle in life. It's one of the reasons why the Bible tells us and encourages us to confess our faults one to another. This is why we encourage people to get involved in small groups. Most of you are not involved in small groups. I don't know what you are thinking, but you resist it anyway. But you need to get involved where you can connect with people and share your struggles. You know, because when you don't hear from other people, you think it's just me. It's just me. The good thing about hearing other people confessing, man, I'm struggling, as you think, well, it's not just me. You hear someone say, I feel like killing my husband. I do too, you know. And now, it, and you don't feel like you're all alone. Because we live in this little plastic world. And it's easy for us to get caught into this. This plastic version of Christianity where we're all sitting in a bubble and everybody sits in their chair and everybody's holy and great and nobody has any problems. And then you go home and then we come back with having no more problems when in reality we all struggle with life. We are all facing temptations. When you feel like it's only you and oh, I don't know how I can handle this. It's not only you. There is no temptation taking you but such as is common to man. It is written. And God is faithful, the rest says. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And boy, if there's one thing you feel when you're being tempted, Satan's whispering in your ears, oh, it's just too much. You have to give in. You have, Pastor, I couldn't, I couldn't help it. I had to strangle him in his sleep. I couldn't help it. It was just, no, you can't help it. When Satan tells you you can't help it, he's lying to you. When he tells you you can't make it, you look at him and say, no, it is written. God will never allow me to be tempted more than I can handle. You start doing, I tell you, it'll change your life. You take it, you keep this with you all week long. You pull it, fold it up, stick it in your pocket, I don't care what you do. You start quoting this stuff into your life, you will find it will change your life. Because the power of God will start being released into your life. It's the same thing Jesus did to teach us to do the same thing. You need to quote the scriptures. You need to say it. You need to speak the word into your life. 
Oh, I can't help it, Pastor. I can't help it. You know, yes, you can. You're not a victim. We are more than conquerors, the Bible says. We are overcomers. Hallelujah. Blessed is the man, the next verse said, who pers- perseveres under trial. Blessed is the man, the King James says, that endures temptation. Blessed. You know what that means? It means to be happy. To be happy. But see, when you're struggling, you think, oh, I'm so miserable. I'm so miserable. I have to drink that gallon of booze because I, I have to or I won't be. No. But pastor, I can feel that I'm not happy. Yes, it is written. Blessed is the man that endures temptation. I will be blessed. I will be happy. Even when everything around me is falling apart. I'm telling you, if you'll start living this way and speaking the word of God into your life, it'll change your life. Or you will be a secular failure, as most Christians in America are today. It's failing every week, failing every week, failing and not getting anywhere. Do you want to live in the world of suck or do you want to be successful? You can suck or suck successful. <laughs> Think it over. Anyway... For heaven's sakes. And people think, you know, if you try, I know some of you, you try to do Christianity on your own. You try to do it on your own, you will fail. Oh, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Not, <laughs> I did it. I did it again. God must hate me. He doesn't hate me. Hate you. He just thinks, hello, get a clue. You need to learn to speak God's word into your life. Some of you look at me like I dropped in from Venus. Is my fly open? No, I'm okay. Just you've got to speak the word of God into your life. It's not about you. It's like you know, I use the analogy of the first service of, of some big guy who's holding a big metal spoon and you're trying to get the spoon out of his hand and you're pulling and you can't. He's too strong. He's too strong, Pastor. I can't get it. You're working too hard. You just get a little blowtorch and you heat up the spoon. Pretty soon he lets go of the spoon. That's what happens when you quote the word. You, this, some of you are working way too hard and failing. You are. You're working way too hard. Your version of Christianity is, oh God, help me. Oh God, help me. Oh God, help me. Hello. It's not exactly victorious Christianity. Speak the word in confidence. It's cranking up the heat. Satan gets out when you start cranking up the heat. That's what happened when Jesus did it. Three times Jesus said, it is written. Finally said, ah, he got out of there. The heat gets going. You need to learn to crank the heat up. This isn't about you. This is about you releasing the power of God into your life. And doing it as a confident believer. Thank you for all those amens. Praise God. And doing it confident. And we're not talking, this isn't like some magic formula. You know, this isn't like incantations. This isn't like, you know, eye of newt and bat wings. And, <laughs> this is you speaking God's word from a position of confidence. The Bible says we are children of the Most High God. We are joint heirs with Christ. I know a lot of people have a very twisted version of what heaven's like. A lot of event or uh, uh, ecclesiastical churches have taught basically that there's God and then there's angels and then there's real holy people and the way at the bottom of the thing, you know, is you. This is not true. 
The Bible says that we are joint heirs with Christ. We have the same status as Christ in heaven. Not that we're Christ, but that we are one with Christ. And, and the Bible says we're, we're, we're going to be above the angels. You know what? We also think, oh, wouldn't it be great to be an angel? Do you know right now angels are looking in here going, oh man, I wish I could be like these guys. It's true. You say, well, well it's awful down here. But it's just temporary. They're thinking, man, because we on the other side get jacked up above the angels. Why? Because we are joint heirs with Christ. When you become a Christian, this is no small thing. This is a big yo mama deal. But obviously we don't know who we are. It's like finding out you the love child of Bill Gates. <laughs> That's a good day for you, Jack. You know what I'm saying? Because there's some serious cash coming your way. We are somebody. We're not nobodies. A lot of us, we don't know who we are. I was riding with Bryce over to the other campus of Eki. <laughs> he always shares these great football stories with me. He said you know, he was in this game, and this one guy just got hammered. And the kid said, are you okay? He said, yeah, yeah I'm fine. He said, who are, who are you? He said, I'm Bart Starr. You know? <laughs> Obviously, something was wrong up there. They had to set him down for a while. We don't know who we are. Who are I? I don't know who I am. We are joint heirs with Christ. These aren't these aren't some witchcraft spells. We are children of the Most High God. And when Satan comes against us and he starts filling us with all these lies, you look at him and say, "No, it is written." And you quote the Word of God back to him, and he backs off. Have you ever noticed that there's a lot of people who uh, never seem to struggle a lot in their faith, but other people who are constantly struggling? Have you ever noticed that? This is the difference. I guarantee you, right here, right here is the difference. The people who do not struggle in their faith and are not always under attack of the devil have learned to do this. Those majority who still struggle have never learned to do this. Don't know, they don't even know what these scriptures are. That's why I printed these out for you. And there's, you can do this in every area. We might do this for several weeks to give you different areas of struggles in life where you can quote these scriptures and learn to speak the word of God into your life to stop the cycle of failure and over and over and over again and start being a successful Christian when you don't know how to do this I'm telling you it's like you have a big spiritual sign on your back to the devil that says kick me and you're constantly getting hammered and constantly getting knocked around and constantly being a victim and constantly falling and uh, uh, yielding to these temptations that are destructive. Learn to speak the word of God into your life. All right, that's the first part of that chapter. Now we'll pick it up at verse 12. It says, Now when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, talking about John the Baptist, he withdrew to Galilee, leaving Nazareth. He went to live in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulon and Naphtali. why Why is he telling this? Verse 14. To fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Now you have to understand, Matthew is, and, and they do this through the Gospels, but Matthew is always being quick. Every time Jesus did, said, lived somewhere that was a fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy of the Messiah, he would point it out. The fact that he was born in Bethlehem was a prophecy that they spoke of. In fact, there are so many prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. It's virtually statistically impossible for anybody to have done all this accidentally. There's no way. Jesus was the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy. He was the Messiah, the Christ of the living God. This was no mistake. Uh, in, in fact, I was reading uh, from people who don't believe Jesus is the Messiah. And 
they're aware that the statistical probabilities is just impossible. So what they say is when these guys wrote the Gospels, they intentionally made up these things and wrote it into the narrative just to pull these verses because, you know, there's no way anybody could have really done all this. No, not true. They wrote it because it really happened. And Jesus was the fulfillment. Everything from where he was born, where he lived, the fact that he was from Nazareth, you know, the way that he spoke, the fact that he died on the cross, the way that he died, resurrected, all of these things were fulfillment of all these scriptures written hundreds and hundreds of years before. And he quotes this one about where Jesus lived for a while. It says, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. It's a prophecy from Isaiah. Jesus fulfilled that. So anyway, verse 17, now, now Jesus begins to preach. From that time on, Jesus began to preach. Just, just believe in me, please. <laughs> just, if you just believe in me, I'll like you a lot better. Oh, I'm sorry, that's the different version of the gospel we have today. Let me read what the Bible actually says. <laughs> From that time on, Jesus began to preach what? Repent. This is the message of Jesus. Jesus came and told people, stop. Stop doing the stuff that is wrong. And turn to God. Why? Because the kingdom of heaven has come near. His message was one of repentance. We need to stop. It wasn't just a message of believe. This is where we've corrupted the message of Christianity today. From Christian radio to Christian television to big evangelical meetings all over the world. That's why we have millions of people who claim to be Christians who live like hell. And think nothing of it. Because they believe. Well, I believe. That's what we've taught them. Just all you got to do is believe. It's not what the Bible says. Of course you have to believe. I'm not saying you don't. But you have to actually live this. That's why we're doing the study of the Gospels. To see what Jesus actually said we need to do. It wasn't some dispassionate thing. You just believe. Like in fairy tales or something like that. True Christianity. You need to live out. And it starts with making a determination. I'm going to stop doing what I know is wrong. And turn to God. This is the first message. This is the first words that came out of Jesus' mouth. Now, sometimes I get very frustrated, as you've heard over the years, of this idea of, you know, these very seeker-friendly churches. They literally hide the truth. And they'll tell you they hide the truth. Well, we don't want to give people the truth because we don't want to scare people away. Which is very bizarre because Jesus said the truth will set you free. See, Jesus said, the truth will set you free. We have churches today say, hide the truth because we don't want to scare people away. Well, it's craziness. We need to tell people the truth. Now, granted, a lot of people won't like the truth, you know, but there's no shock there. You know, Jesus said, if you follow me, the world will hate you. Isn't that encouraging? <laughs> have you ever noticed you don't quite fit in with everybody else? You know, we are a little different. Jesus said of you, not everybody's going to like this. Get comfortable with that. I'm comfortable with that. Not everybody's going to like the truth. But the truth, if we'll speak it into people's lives, will set people free. And ultimately, at the end of the day, that's what people want. They just don't want to just live out there in chains and bondage to destructive ways of living. They want to know, man, how can I have a successful life? Well, we can do that through the gospel by telling people the truth. Because the truth will set people free. That's the whole point. Now... Often these big mega churches, in this area we're considered a mega church, but the church is a lot bigger than us, and some of them are the worst offenders of this. You know, they don't really ever teach anything the Bible says about sin or doing anything right. 
just everything. God loves, he loves you just the way you are. You know, it's, it's more of a Billy Joel song than the Bible. But then I was reading this the other day and I read an article about a mega church in America that has decided we're not going to play this game anymore. Praise God. Here's the title of the article. Winston-Salem Mega Church tells freeloading members to get lost. <laughs> it's an actual article. Let me read this to you. Julie and Bob Clark were stunned to receive a letter from their church in July asking them to participate in the life of the church or worship elsewhere. Julie says, they basically called us freeloaders. Bob said, we were freeloaders. <laughs> in a trend that may signal rough times for wallflower Christians, and I pray to God that's the case. Because I promise you, if we're going to really turn to God in this country, it's going to start with us getting back to the truth. And the fact that they're saying some big churches now are starting to do this is a great sign for us. This version of this wussified version of Christianity is not the true gospel. Anyway, this church has asked non-participating members to stop attending. No more Mr. Nice Church, the pastor says. Bigger is not always better. Providing free services indefinitely to complacent Christians is not our mission. Freeloading Christians were straining the church's nursery, facility resources, and harming the church's ability to reach the lost, said the pastor. When your bottom line is saving souls, you get impatient with people who interfere with that goal. Well, faith communities sent a polite but firm letter to families who attended church services and freebie events, but never volunteer, never tithe, do not belong to a small group or other ministry. The church estimates of its 8,000 regular attendees, only half have volunteered in the past three years. Before now, we made people feel comfortable and welcome. We tried to coax them. Come on. Finally dawned on them, it wasn't working. So, we've changed. The pastor says, we're done being the community nanny. Surprisingly, this is what the article says, surprisingly, the move to disinvite people has drawn positive response from men in the community. (laughs) I love it. Now, I have said this for years. The reason we have so many men come to this church is we challenge men. I don't like this wussified thing. This idea. Do you know Christianity is the only major religion in the world that overwhelmingly appeals more to women than to men? Well, how the heck did that happen? (laughs) Islam doesn't have this problem. Judaism doesn't have this problem. Buddhism doesn't have this problem. Even the most extreme forms of Islam have guys lining up to the doors. And they got to blow themselves to smithereens. (laughs) We can't get a guy to sit out for an hour. Why the wussification is choking them. It's because we never challenge anybody anything. And it's all overly strong on emotions and feelings. And How does your feeler feel when you feel your feelers? And la, 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 la. When this pastor got tough and they started doing this, it was men in the community went, cool. <laughs> they said they liked the idea of an in-your-face church. One guy said, wow, a church that doesn't allow wussies, that rocks. (laughs) Then it talks about Bob and Julie at the beginning who were freaking out. It says, now Bob and Julie are tithing and volunteering. (laughs) Praise God. Amen. Amen.
That was very encouraging. I thought, well, that's, that's pretty cool. Don't worry. I'm not going to send letters telling you all to leave. <laughs> we will keep coaxing you. Come on, come on, come on. <laughs> Maybe at some point I'll write it, but come on, guys, let's do this. Now let's read verse 18. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I'll send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and followed him. Think about that. The Bible doesn't really say much about it, but this is really amazing. Here they are living their life. This guy walks up, says, hey, dump all that, follow me. And they did it. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in the boat with their father, preparing their nets, the family biz. Jesus called them. Hey, guys, come on. And immediately they left the boat and their father. Well, that had to tick off the old man. Where are you guys going? I don't know. He said, follow. I'm going with him, you know. Now, this is just the beginnings of something we will see as we read through the Gospels and see the message of Jesus, this idea of discipleship. Jesus challenged people to surrender all, to give it all. This idea that Christianity is a version of faith where you don't have to do anything is not from heaven. It is, in my opinion, straight from hell. This is why we've got so many disaffected people who don't get it. You'll literally hear people talk. And I know there's some of you sitting here and you think this way. God bless you. Don't get mad at me. But they talk about the the Old Old Testament talks about tithing. Well, the New Testament doesn't talk about tithing. Yeah, so their version is they think the New Testament means they don't have to give anything. Really? What are you smoking? (laughs) The New Testament version was everything. You think Jesus came along to set you free from having to give a 10%? Are you crazy? If anything, he ratcheted it up. The idea that Jesus came, now you don't have to do anything. You don't have to volunteer for anything. You don't have to give any money. You don't have to do anything. He loves you just the way you are. It's craziness. That is not the message of Jesus. And we will see this as Jesus went. When people started hearing Jesus, they learned that Everything comes first. I mean, he comes first. I'm sorry. That's what people think. He comes first before everything. Before your money, before your hopes, before your dreams, before everything. God comes first. People would come to him and say, I want to follow you. Jesus would look at him and say, you know, yeah, you don't want to follow me. I got no place to live. One guy comes to him. He's very rich. He says, I want to follow you. Jesus says, great. Go sell everything you have. What? And he left. One guy comes and says, I want to follow you, but, but I, I got to bury my dad first. Jesus said, let the dead bury their own dead. Follow me. Whoa. I mean, this is no girlified, wussified picture of Jesus. Limp-wristed, holding a, you know, a lamb. <laughs> you know, we see pictures of that. Jesus on the wall looks like a lady with a beard. You know what I'm talking about? This is a corrupted form of Christian. Jesus was an in-your-face son of God. Who challenged people. Hey, this will cost you everything. He gave parables. We're going to read them. Parables of a guy who found a pearl of great price. Went and sold everything that he had. So that he he said, that's what the kingdom of God is like. This version of Christianity that we have created. When I say we, I mean the church in general. In Western culture, particularly in America. 
this picture of Christianity, that true Christianity, God just loves you and you don't have to do anything, is not what the Bible... I don't know where these guys get this stuff, but they are delusional. It is not what the Bible teaches. And we're going to see this as we go through the gospel. One verse at a time, you're going to start to hear how strong Jesus was. Now, he was compassionate. He was loving. He was forgiving. Yes, yes, hallelujah. But yet, at the end of the day, this will cost you everything. If you're going to truly be a disciple of Jesus, it will cost you everything. You're going to have to surrender everything. That doesn't mean you've got to run out and sell everything. But you've got to understand, as a servant of Christ, you... Everything in your life comes second to Jesus. Your hopes, your dreams, your desires, all your plans, everything comes second. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God. He says, if you do that, I'll make sure you'll have everything you need. That's a hard call. We're going to see that in the next chapter. As we start getting into the deeper teachings of Jesus. They're very strong words, very challenging words. But there's nothing to be afraid of. These are words of life. Jesus said, my words are life. The truth will set you Free. I would rather be free, praise God, than weighted down by the sins and the cares of this earth. The Bible talks about how we're supposed to be running a race. And when you run a race, you don't carry stuff. You ever see people run races? They're barely legal. They're near naked, man. Everything's light as they can, light tennis shoes, light everything, just run as fast. You know, the way we run the race, all right, I want to, I'm going to do it, wait faster, I'm coming, I'm coming, wait, 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 I got to record my TV shows first, okay, pastor, come on, I got, I got all, <laughs> oh, pastor, it's so hard to be a Christian, why is it so hard, let go of all the junk, of course it's hard, it's a lot easier to run when you don't got anything, Woo! hallelujah, <laughs> Man, let go, let God. Quit trying to carry everything in your life and making everything so important. Let it go. You'll find it's a lot easier to run. Be a lot more fun. You won't nearly be as tired. And most of all, you will break the cycle of failure in your life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, help us to... Learn these lessons as we study the scriptures here. God, help us to be as you did, to learn to speak the word of God in our lives. When we're up against temptation and against struggles against the enemy. Help us to learn that the true message of faith is to turn away from sin and to turn to God. And that, Lord, we need to let go. We need to let go and let God. We need to be surrendering it all. Lord, this idea that... Because we can trust in you, we can do everything we want and keep everything we want and do everything we want is, is, is just a false gospel. Help us, God, to live this stuff right so we can start having successful lives, so we can lead the kind of lives that people around us will say, man, I want to be like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.